to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to emergency response, business continuity, disaster recovery, crisis management, and anything that can be related within those uh, areas. And um, as always, I'd like to remind people, if there's a subject you would like us to talk about, please feel free to go to the Voice America website, uh, the one, the page for Preparing for the Unexpected, and there's a button underneath the graphic there that says uh, you can send me a note. So feel free, click on that, send me a note, uh, tell me what you want to talk about or what you would like someone else to come on the show to talk about. And uh, I do respond to every email I get, so please feel free uh, to be in touch. Um, we've had some of those people actually on the show before, so who knows, you might get on the show. You may recall, uh, for quite some time, uh, beginning of the year, I was talking about attending the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in May in Toronto, and since then, every month, we've been talking to some of the speakers that presented. There was a lot of fantastic uh, topics that were presented and new ideas and you know, lots of uh, great content, and today, I am privileged to have one of those speakers with me. Um, his presentation was Business Impact Analysis. Relevance to disaster recovery. So I'd like to welcome to the show Dennis Lunard. Welcome, Dennis. Oh, welcome, Alex, and thank you very much. Uh, would you like me to give you a quick bio of my experiences here? Sure. I was just about to ask you that. You know, I always like our there, listeners to know who they're, who they're prompted. Right. So I actually began my career. I have an electrical engineering degree. Began my career in hardware design when we didn't have electronics engineering at that time. Worked in that for a number of years, ended up moving on to uh, software. From software, I ended up moving into networking and then into actually security. And I had an operational security at a global multinational. Uh, from there, I got a call to one day that my company I worked for at that time didn't have a disaster recovery program. We had BCP, we had business continuity, but we did not have disaster recovery. And, by the way, that company at that time happened to just file for bankruptcy, so I was told there was no money. But what I did notice, though, was that uh, what they were missing was the logistics and communication part, and we're talking to the ITN for disaster recovery. With that, worked for them for a number of years. I then went off to work for CGI, and up until very recently, I was heading up CGI's uh, sale of uh, business continuity management to clients in Canada. So I am Canadian-based, by the way. And it covered the whole gamut from crisis management through business continuity to disaster recovery and emergency response. I uh, did that, and I'm finally underneath my own shingle now as of April this year, uh, handling a major contract for the Canadian government and doing some small site contracts. And there you go. Oh, well, it's always interesting to hear how people get into the industry. And, uh, you know, no one so far, I think except for one person I've talked to, actually went to school for this. So it's kind of interesting how we all uh, fall into the DR, BCP type area. And, and it is. And, you know, the one thing you'll notice with a lot of business continuity management is the management piece of it is a very important aspect of it. Because as, as you're into this field, and I mean, uh, it's good to see that there are programs now, you know, at major universities and colleges that... Mm-hmm. Uh, are into this aspect of, uh, or into business continuity management. But uh, the one thing that one must pick up is the management part because, you know, honestly, like we do, or like we train our people to, one needs to be able to talk to the upper echelons of management in order to, you know, show this is what the current status of the program, here's the direction we need to go, and things like that. So with, with that, by the way, maybe this is a good lead-in, Alex, for me to how this presentation came about. Sure. I've had several clients 
uh, come to me and sometimes I'll have a client that hasn't performed a BIA. And it is very, very difficult without a BIA to try to define what is important in a, uh, in, for a client, either it be a government client or a private client or a financial client or an educational one. And mm-hmm. for those that have had the BIA, uh, it was, sometimes it wasn't myself that performed the BIA, and I would come into that client and say, you know, there would be piece, critical pieces of information missing. A few months ago, before this presentation was created, incidentally, I was talking to a government, uh, somebody else who worked in DR, who was complaining to me about he needed some RPO times, uh, sorry, recovery point of operations, which is how much data you can lose, and it was never covered in the BIA that performed for that client. And so with that came the idea to do this presentation because a lot of times, a lot of uh, folk in our profession don't realize how much DR is dependent on the results of a BIA and what we actually use. And so that's how this presentation came about. Well, I, it's, it's interesting how, because I've been in the same kind of situation where I've gone into places and there's information missing because I'll ask what, you know, a couple of questions. Well, what's this and what's that? Oh, we don't have that. Well, how did you get all this other stuff then? Did you make it up? You know, if you don't know, you know, as you point out, example, RPO, well, then how do you know how much data you can lose? You've, you've got a number exactly. that you wrote down over here, and you don't even know where it came from. So, and even, so even you, you mentioned a couple. A case oh, sorry. Oh, I'm go sorry. Ahead. You go ahead. I talked over you. Oh, that's okay. Go ahead. Okay. My current client is a case in point. I walked up into here, and, you know, I'll mention this as we walk very quickly through the presentation, but... A lot of times, clients in doing performing a BIA will make a across-the-board rule of, oh, we can lose 24 hours worth of data. This, this is a common one, by the way. Mm-hmm. And this particular client I have, as I've been doing my investigation and discovery on the ground before I, I'm actually building a DR program here, disaster recovery program, as I'm building that, uh, and I look at the, especially business functions that have an RTO, a very quick recovery. We're talking within an hour or within four hours. And when my question to them is how much data can you lose, it's certainly not 24 hours worth of data. So, you know, that's, that's a warning for our listeners that, number one, don't ask what the RPO is. They may or may not know it, but they can usually tell you how much data they can lose. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, Yeah. And so before other- before we go too much further, um, can you define exactly what you meant by BIA and what that is and DR and what that is? Because I know we've got listeners all around the globe um, on, on different levels of experience. So I want to make sure we're all we're all on the same page going forward. Fair, fair enough. And I usually do a one diagram of this, but since we're on radio, we'll explain this in the air. <laughs> we are all in the business of business continuity management. Some people may consider it emergency management, depending where you are, but if we follow the general DRE and uh, DRJ guidelines, we're into business continuity management, where generally we have a crisis net management team, continuity of operations, or some other central organization at the top that's in charge of uh, emergency response. With that, underneath that, there's naturally your emergency response, which is, you know, I have fire alarms pulled, Evacuate people, don't uh, use the elevators, call 911, and that sort of thing. The mm-hmm. crisis management team in hearing the response to that, if it involves people in logistics, namely, I don't have an office to work in, I don't have a laptop to use that I can work from, then we're generally into, if it stops me performing my business continuity, func- sorry, performing my business function, then I'm into business continuity. If I walk into work one day, my office is there, my laptop is there, I log in, but I have no IT functions. In our business, we refer to that as disaster recovery. Now, I've done a definition, uh, which I took from DRJ. I actually saw a better one, which I wish I would have written down. It was even much better than that. But the processes, pol- processes, policies, and procedures related to preparing for recovery or continuation of technological infrastructure, systems, and applications which are vital to an organization. And so this is saying, and I generally like to use a three-arena model, I could have lost 
my IT infrastructure, where again, we're talking major outages here, due to a building problem, you know, a fire in the building, flooding, a regional problem, tornadoes. It, up here in the north, we have ice storms where the problem is not the ice and snow, but the fact that I can't get diesel fuel to the generators when all the hydroelectricity is gone. Or it could be a cyber problem. could be a security problem such as denial of service. could be, and I've had clients, lost Active Directory and could not get it back in time uh, or sufficient within their RTOs uh, could be one of those factors. All I know is that when I am a business user, I come down, sit down on my laptop, and I try to log into the system, I'm seeing nothing and all my IT functions are gone. My job in life as a disaster recovery uh, program manager or uh, manager is to ensure that the plans, processes, uh, the exercises needed to test that are all in place so that I can recover that vital IT infrastructure. Does that help? Yep, that's perfect. That helps everyone uh, okay. level set. Let's, so let's, um, talk about def- uh, let's talk let, about BIA very quickly, business yes. impact analysis. And actually, I'll throw in another little one there too, threat analysis. As we've all, with our training, learned, business impact analysis uh, tells me what is vital to an organization to recover as far as its business functions go. And I generally like to say, you know, what do I want, what do I want especially as a DR person out of a DR for disaster recovery here, out of a BIA? I want to know a list of your critical processes and how fast you need them back. Business functions, I should say. I've got to be careful here. Business functions and how fast you need them back. I'm not looking for your applications yet. I want to know your business functions. And by the way, mm-hmm. something a fault I find in a lot of places is it's not only necessary to find what's critical, but it's important to have that list on the side of what's not critical. As you present to executive management and you say, I can recover business function A and B and C, they're thinking, oh, you can do D and E as well. If you tell them, nope, D and E aren't in scope or they're not, you have identified them not as vital, that's a very important piece of information to have at the side. I find people concentrate just on the critical and don't tell their clients or their executive, here's the non-critical processes. As well, I want to know how fast you need each one of them back, and I want to know how much data you can lose. With that, I generally... And I believe in, I mean, even DRI, uh, DRIC, which I belong to, by the way, favors face-to-face interviews. But there's a variety of methods you can use to gather this information via workshops, interviews, uh, several other methods. Uh, What happens is I then have, I'm going through, those aren't the only things I want. I want to know what there's about, I'd say, in fact, and here I have a list of some of them. We'll go through it in a minute. But different things that are critical to the return of my business, my vital business functions, which include important staff that I need that are critical to the organization, material things such as, for example, legal sometimes needs steps to process documents. Uh, If I'm a recovery company, my trucks and bulldozers are important to me. So a business impact assessment is going to come out with a report that's going to tell me, Here's my vital business uh, processes I need to recover. And by the way, here is what I need to recover them in terms of processes and in terms of either material or resources. Does that help? Yes, it does. I I do like one point you brought up about making sure you have the list of uh, functions that are not critical or have been identified as not critical. From experience, I've been in a, a client situation where they only had one person doing this one little you know, activity, function, you know, so nobody really thought it, they were important because, you know, right beside them were about 50 people who all worked in the same area doing the same thing. And it turned out that if that one person wasn't doing something, the 50 couldn't do anything. And it's like, um, well, you just said he's not important. So what do you think this 50 people are going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, my, my classic one is, I remember I told you I, I jumped from security into providing a DR program for a major global corporation. I think half my job was talking to executives of the various business units and talking about DR or the fact that they didn't have DR 
and they automatically assumed in the IT price tag, DR was included. And, you know, that, that was half my job to give them the bad news. But that's, that's why I do note, as, as you've uh, noted there as well, it's important that you not only present your critical functions, but here's the not-so-critical. And, by the way, maybe their best effort to come back or maybe won't even try. But it's, impo- it, it's an executive decision to assume that risk. And, by the way, besides right. BIA, the, so a BIA are going to tell me what the business requirements are. A threat risk analysis, which is something, unfortunately, we don't do enough of, Dennis Leonard's opinion, in our profession. A threat risk analysis tells me what am I protecting against. And I'll I'll give you a little story here in a minute. But with threat risk analysis, I'm going to look at my threats. I'm going to look at the impact. A lot of people like to use here in Canada what's called a harmonized threat risk analysis. I know even some Americans uh, like to use it from the uh, RCMP up here. what was I going to say? A risk analysis tells me what I'm protecting against. So a classic case, one of my clients uh, actually in New Brunswick had their data center was in an old brick-and-mortar building. That used to be a cotton mill years ago. And so fire is a concern. Uh, one of the things we discovered was it was close to a uh, uh, Canadian military facility called Gagetown, where uh, fires, forest fires were generated from the fire, uh, firing practice of the artillery range in the summer. And so this was, if they, we could identify this is what your business requirements are, but by the way, you should spend your extra money on protecting against fire. You know, this is very, a very uh, high probability this might hit you. And I think what both BIA and TRI can give to me as well is telling me, where do I spend my funds, or where shouldn't I spend my funds? Mm-hmm. So and there we go. And, and that's a key point. You know, where where am I going to put my money? Every organization wants to know that. So oh, yeah. uh, with that point, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking with Dennis Lennard about business impact analysis and business impact analysis relevance to disaster recovery, and we'll be right back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with Dennis Lennard on his topic, Business Impact Analysis, Relevance to Disaster Recovery. Uh, Dennis, I'd like to talk about, um, continue talking about the BIA for a moment, and uh, you have a great slide in your presentation at CRT, and it had to do with the social aspects of a BIA. Can you explain that for our listeners, please? Oh, yeah. And Alex, this is so important. I've had, when I was with CGI, I've had 35 clients, which a lot of them, by the way, called me back for a lot of business. Um, but one of the things I discovered, and by the way, I'll mention that I'm project management certified, and this is also, in project management, a very important aspect, is the culture of an organization. And sometimes people will say to me, well, what do you do for your clients? And I say, you know, it depends. Because if I walk into a financial organization, the culture is minimal risk. They're a very risk-averse type organization. If I walk into a manufacturing concern, 
chances are that I am not as worried about the risks, but I am worried, though, more about project completion. I am worried about delivery, and those types of things are more important to me. And so that's why I say the culture of an organization is very important for somebody coming from the outside or even for those of you working on the inside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, also note that uh, the people who do the BIA, a lot of organizations separate out. The disaster recovery tends to be in the IT organization, whereas business continuity might be in emergency management, might be sometimes I see it in finance, sometimes I see it in security. Uh, there's various areas where business continuity, and they're two organizations apart. Mm-hmm. And the people who do business continuity and BIAs generally don't have the tech speak, where the people who do the IT functions generally have too much tech speak, and sometimes it takes a <laughs> translator to figure out what they're saying, you know, right? They speak in acronyms. <laughs> oh, yeah, acronyms. And, and they assume that you know what they're talking about. You know what I'm talking <laughs> yes. about? VMware on an ESX system, you know, over a synchronous uh, line, you know, you're going to know right away what I'm talking about. Uh, for people in IT, they probably find that to be very simplified, and people outside of IT are saying, what the heck did I just say? So the IT requirements and language is going to become important as well. The people who do the BIA are delivering to IT a package that is business function oriented, and hopefully... One of the items they're supplying is these are the applications uh, these guys are using. Now, the people using the applications know I'm getting on my keyboard, I'm going to go into SAP or I'm going to go into Cognos or some other application and type my commands and it's going to, uh, Oracle, it's going to all come back to me. Whereas the people in IT say, well, that's the client. I need to go off into the data center and figure out one, what is the actual server application that this is running on? Two, yes. is it in my data center? Is it in the cloud these days? Where is it? And so there's quite a bit of translation there for the IT group to do once they receive that list of business functions. And this is down to my last point there, which the feedback or the communication between the two groups is important. I, I tend to find out that sometimes people purposely isolate themselves because they don't understand, but it is important that they talk, and it is important that they discover what the group that did the BIA mean, or that the BIA group has an understanding of what it is IT is trying to get, what requirements they need. Yeah, it's rather interesting you said about applications, because a user will, you know, maybe only access one single application, but on the IT side, it takes... 10 different ones to make that one work and, you know, links that, that the user never knows. You know, they oh, have no yes. idea about middleware and all this other stuff in the background. And one of my words of wind there, by so, the way, is... Go ahead. Oh, no, sorry, you go ahead. I, I cut you off. No, no, that's fine. Go ahead. Okay. One of my words of warning there is, so sometimes I'll get a BIA list and it's going to see, I need application A up and then B, and, you know, I need to return functions in these orders. As I'm on the IT side, I might have to say sometimes, you know, sorry, I can't bring up A until C and D are up. You know, right? Mm-hmm. No, they'll be available first. And I, we'll talk about this a little bit later on in the conversation, but there are sometimes realities of how things start up, their dependencies, and those sorts of things may at least my job in IT is to feed that back to you who's doing the B, the person doing the BIA to say, you know, this is what you gave me. Here's what the way I had to change the order you gave it to me, but here's the reasons why, and that's what's important. Yes. I'm so, not going to spend too much time on what kind of uh, information is collected in the BIA, Alex. I'm sure there's more than enough people talk about that, but I'm going to talk about some of the top items for DR that we need. Oh, sure. And we've already talked sure. a little bit about this, but as I mentioned, the critical systems and the non-critical systems, how fast you need them back, what is your allowable data loss? I'm going to spend a minute on this one here. When I talk to somebody and I say, how much data can you lose? And I say, oh, geez, I don't know. So my first question to them is, how did you get your data? 
Did it come in on a purchase order? Did it come in through a fax? Did it come in through an email? If I am able to bring you that system, how much can you lose? And this is sometimes where you get into the, I can lose one day's worth, but that's for them to tell me. Um, yeah. A case, a case in point is, and again, it all depends. If I'm looking at, and I'll use two real-life examples. If a vehicle is being imported into a company, I'm sorry, a company in a country, uh, and the system goes down, generally, you know, we're not worried too much about vehicles being imported, and I can give the person a piece of paper, they fill out the paper, and they cross the border. If I'm looking at people crossing the border, well, so, oh, by the way, in that first example, my RPO might be infinity because, you know, I, I don't need that data today or tomorrow. I need it in a few months maybe even to say, oh, that vehicle owes me taxes or we have to go trace it down. If I'm looking at people crossing the border, I need to know within minutes uh, because, you know, they might be a normal uh, citizen. They might be a terrorist. I might be a, have criminal charges. Uh, I need to know that information within seconds, maybe. And that's where my RPO has been minutes. So that data loss and how can I replenish it is very, very important. And then one other thing I notice people forget in BIAs is dependencies. I, I think you alluded to this earlier, and it's so true. If yes. finance can't run because uh, uh, payments isn't running, you know, I need to bring up my payments first, you know, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And then I'll worry about finance. But, you know, I need to know as well, I need to know those business dependencies because it will help me as an IT person say, oh, okay, I can bring up your SAP system for finance, but I need to help you bring up your payments tool first so you can get that group going. Are all the dependencies internal or would you be looking oh. at external as well? Oh, no, ex external as well. And this is this has become in our industry, what you see with the maturing of the industry, we used to always worry about if my data center burns down or if my building is gone or my BCP plans. And we realize now from some very uh, real life examples, I should say examples, disasters, that I'm dependent sometimes on suppliers. So if I'm a uh, major retailer, but I can't buy paper, I've, I've got a major problem here, you know, right? And I have mm -hmm. to worry that my supplier, if I'm doing a uh, supplier agreement with them, a preferred supplier agreement, that they have BCP and DR plans in place. And you're right, uh, external suppliers now are important, as well as, and we're paying attention to that now, external clients. Um, one interesting case in point, it was a uh, food manufacturer on the East Coast, and I talked to them about the hydro outage. This is where it works the other way. And what would they be response? They'd say, you know what? We don't need to be up. And the reason why? We have no clients. So, you know, it works both ways on that one. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Because I, I, I've, yep. I've seen where... People, uh, you know, they focus on the internal, but they don't realize that, you know, you're up and running, that's fine, but your clients are, so what are you going to do? Or, you know, you haven't taken into account that when you get to a certain point, you have to start connecting with a financial institution to be able to continue on. You've forgotten that, so now you're dead dead in the water. You know, you've got, you've exactly. got to consider external, you know, we're a global, you know, everything's globalized these days. No one just stands alone, you know. And you exactly. mentioned uh, and a great point about um, uh, suppliers. A lot of suppliers and manufacturers now have just-in-time you know, inventories. They're, they don't order massive, massive reams of paper. You know, They order it a skid at a time now. You know, it's different. Exactly. And if my, if my retailer, if I'm a supplier, by the way, of paper, and my retailer reads that, hey, by the way, my data center just burned to the ground, the fact that I have a DR plan and I have a communication plan to go to him is very critical in that because it will keep him from jumping to another supplier if he knows I'm going to be back up in two, three days. That's right. You know, it, who, so, who you want to work with? Somebody who has a, 
who has things, um, I don't want to say safely in hand, but you know, has a plan to respond or someone who will wing it? Which one have you got exactly. more confidence in? <laughs> so are there any oh. other additional DR requirements outside of the, the five that you just mentioned? Oh, yes. Now, those five were the major ones, but there are some minor ones, and we, well, we talked about, I shouldn't say minor, there are some important ones that aren't as critical. And, you know, we just talked about third-party suppliers, uh, my data storage and backup. I need to know what's happening there. Um, <clears throat> do I have networking <coughs> issues? Am I going between sites? What locations are involved? You know, mm-hmm. my disaster recovery might be data center A in Cleveland, Ohio, and data center B in New York City, okay? But the fact that I have a facility in Waco, Texas that can't talk to them because the networking is down, to me as an IT provider, might become very important. So I need to know this type of thing. It's, it's a help. Sometimes IT decisions on what to do come down to weighing decisions, and it helps me to know that you might have financial or legal impacts. You know, if I can't deliver services to my retailers within a certain time, I am going to be kicked out of preferred supplier agreements, which, by the way, sometimes take months or years to sign, mm-hmm. uh, and my competition is going to be walking in uh, all over me. Uh, there might be legal impacts, uh, especially in government, where delivery of information may contravene the law and I do need to be up or to handle legal judgments and things like that. Uh, seasonal, uh, I'll, I'll give you one here. It's an interesting client I had. Beer sales, which uh, in July are at the highest. And if I'm going to look at how fast I want to be back, uh, I want to be looking at my July uh, response I have. If They've given me different variations and seeing what's happening there. So, yes, there are. Oh, and projects. Uh, that are out there that might impact me. Yes. Oh, yes. I, I've run into that where, you know, we get things set up and then you find out, oh, in a, another few weeks, X project is implementing. It's going to change exactly what you did. What? <laughs> well, what yeah. did we do all this work yeah, for? exactly. <laughs> so, let's, um, let's maybe in, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I was so, going to say, um, what about the, um, uh, what results now that now that you've got your your BIA? You know what does that do for IT? You know, I'm uh, I'm handing it off to you. Right, and, and remember, I mentioned to you that you're giving me this list of business functions and applications, and how fast you need them back, and how much data you can lose, and I and IT now have to do a translation effort. It's not, and I hate to say it, sometimes there's dog work here. Because you generally, after the first time you do it, when your BIAs are redone, it does help uh, to make the job easier. But I've got to map my business function to my applications I'm using and map that to my servers so I can understand what I need back. As well, for each of those servers that I'm bringing up, I need to look at my dependencies. As to give a very simplified layman example, I'm not going to do anything and bringing back a data center until I'm sure my networking is going. I can tell you 99% of my clients, the very first thing is to either to bring up their networking or to verify their networking. Then I could start looking at today, storage and where I store my data is most important. Then I could start to bring back my systems. So I've now got to take these applications you've given me, the order you've given them to me, and work out what I can bring back when and realize that I can't bring back application C until application A is up, and application A can't come up until the database is up, and the database can't come up until the storage is up, and the storage can't come up until the networking's there. So I now look at all these time deltas, and you've told me two hours, and guess what? I'm going to tell you, and this is, again, part of the communication between IT, with the current infrastructure, IT and the uh, business organization, with the current infrastructure I have in place, I can only deliver it to you in four hours, and then it's a management decision as to what you do from there. You, from this information, too, I like to do this in Microsoft Project. You create a chronological order uh, for the return of your infrastructure and your applications that gives you an end-to-end view of how long it's going to take you. So 
one of the reasons I use, I'll, I'll mention a brand name here, which is generally not what I do. There's a lot of good products, but Microsoft Project as an example to do a schedule. On there, I'm going to have my tasks I need to bring back. Who's responsible to do it? What group do I page out? How long it's going to take them to do it? And dependencies. And now from end to end on paper, having not done an exercise yet or real life, on end to end, I can say, here's how long it's going to take me to bring back these IT functions. Here's when they're going to be back. And by the way, this is when you can return now your business functions. So the, the, using Microsoft Project and um, putting in all those dependencies, that would also identify, you know, your critical path. If there's a problem here, you know, all the rest is going to fail. If there's a problem there, all the rest is going to fail. Like, it would help you identify what the key pieces are, would it not? Yes, it would. And that's critical path for critical groups. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. One of the things I warned people on with doing this is, and I've seen this happen, where you do an exercise, and I will bring in all my Unix team to do it. But guess what? If I'm calling, paging somebody out at 4 o'clock in the morning, I might have one person working that. And, you know, instead of taking two hours to do it, it might take that one person six hours because the other people on the team are out sick or on vacation or I can't reach them. You know, so you're right. It does yeah. uh, identify the critical path and tasks that need to be done and critical resources in doing this. And on that, we've come to the end of our second segment. We're talking with Dennis Lenard about business impact analysis, relevance to disaster recovery, and we'll be right back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're talking with Dennis Lenard about the BIA and its relevance with disaster recovery. So, Dennis, in this segment, our last segment, can we talk about, you know, more of the, you've got this plan in place now, you know, identifying all the groups and, you know, the order and how it um, is it's supposed to work. You know, uh, what are some of the realities of, you know, bringing this all together? You've got the BIA information, you've got this plan, you know, what, what are the things you found and seen and, you know, some of the realities, the things that we really need to concentrate to make the DR plan work? Yeah, that's, that's very good. In fact, I'm living this right now. As I mentioned, I'm helping a major Canadian government client uh, put the disaster recovery uh, program in place. And as I'm doing this and I'm getting the requirements, I have to go back to that client to say, well, you know what, guys? Some of your databases, and I'll mention this, for example, with some of the older uh, uh, Unix-based systems, uh, some of the databases or even uh, some of the newer Windows-based ones um, are going to take six to eight hours to recover. Uh, you have given me an RTO, recovery time to operations. You said you want this back in four hours, and I just cannot do. But, by the way, you know, you told me you needed one day. I could recover this within one day. Well, guess what? I can bring that back within two hours. 
So this is the kind of back and forth that one needs to do. And as I said earlier, the communication between the two groups is very important. You know, to note, here are my gaps that I have in doing this. The world mm-hmm. is not perfect. And sometimes before I can start application A, I need to start application C first. I may need to bring up databases. I may have middleware. Um, I may have dependencies. As well, as I'm looking at the whole picture here, sometimes I've discovered, you know what? I can do what you want me to do. You've told me to be back in two hours. I can, but it's going to cost you. And this yes. comes down to a management decision of looking at the risk, the requirements, and, you know, do you want to pay the extra bucks to upgrade the hardware, or do you want to, uh, uh, you know, accept that this is, a, you know, a risk right now that we're going to have that's not mitigatable, uh, that, you know, I'm going to be up in four hours. Uh, as well, to note support requirements, remember I mentioned earlier about resourcing, well, mm-hmm. uh, especially one thing I find is sometimes on some applications, guess what? Your critical infrastructure people have a cell phone and they're on call, but not always your application folks. And this is sometimes a process problem that they need to look at. In fact, it's a case in point here where uh, I may have an RTO of four hours for an application, but guess what? That person has no cell phone, uh, they're at home, and they may or may not be around. And I may have to wait till, if this happens at Friday, 5 o'clock, I may have to wait till Monday morning at 8 o'clock in order to get in touch with them and tell them I need to recover this. So those are the kinds of things you need to look at as you're doing this. Well, I guess there's another another point, too, and you you kind of alluded it to uh, at one point where you said you want me to be up in two hours. But that's, you know, if you've had to vacate the building and you're standing outside for two hours before you can go back in, that's kind of four hours, right? Oh, yeah. Well, the whole process, and I mean, exercises, I'll always tell people that in a a tabletop walkthrough that is properly done, I can find 80% of your problems, okay, when you have somebody experienced doing this. Uh, But I can't prove everything until I've done exercises, and... One of the things you want to head towards, and this is not so much of my presentation, but a general perspective, is I walk into a lot of clients that do an exercise of just SAP or an exercise just of Bond or an exercise just of Cognos. And you know what? You need to do an end-to-end exercise. That's got to be your goal. Even if you're not there today, this has got to be your goal. Because if you just mentioned, Alex, there's also you need to exercise the logistics to get there. If I have an RTO of two hours, but I'm losing half an hour in contacting the right people and taking the decision, I now really only have an hour and a half left to recover this. Mm-hmm. So That's right. Uh, it, it is important. And so to mention, exercises are the way to do this. You don't need usually more than one good exercise in a year. I mean, that's what's recommended by our professional uh, uh, certification organizations. Uh, because you don't want people to get jaded too, you know. And again, it depends on your culture. I've, I have clients that exercise something every quarter. Uh, I have clients that will exercise the whole kit caboodle once a year. I have some of them do it twice a year. Depends on your culture, your tolerance for risk, and, uh, you know, what are your deliverables you need. I remember working for a company, uh, the last company I worked for before I went, uh, you know, uh, became self-employed. We had one very large exercise, end-to-end, you know, simulation, users, everybody, you know, right from we have a disaster, snap of a finger, and, you know, everybody have to drive to the alternate sites, and, you know, right from there, one of those wow. you, and and then multiple, about three or four smaller uh, system-related ones to make sure that some of the key, and you mentioned this, dependencies, you know, that if there was something with uh, a financial institution, a very key uh, line, that system to be able to fail over was tested every year to make sure it works, and there were three or four of those. And still, even when you did those those every year, you still found more and more, you know, uh, gaps depending on the the situation that you're trying to, you know, replicate. You know, if it's a flood or a pandemic or you know, full power outage or whatever. Yeah, and you know, we can never predict the type of disaster we're going to have, and this this is why, by the way. 
when I do DR planning, I tend to do it on logistics and process and authority. I don't do scenario-based planning. And I'm, I, you know, if that's what you like to do, okay, but I'll tell you why. I, one client I remember I walked into had seven scenarios, and they were saying, these are the only seven scenarios that are going to hit me. And I kind of like, oh, no, I could, and I was lucky I could think of one. Uh, in fact, I said, you know, what if your network flip-flops goes down for, and because I had experienced this at one of my previous jobs, and then comes up. And the guy says, well, that can't happen. And when you know the BCP person who was in the room said, you know what, we had that problem last December. <laughs> so <laughs> I tend to like to build my processes not on scenarios, but on uh, logistics and notification and process and authority uh, that no matter what my disaster is, I can get there. And, I mean, the reason we're doing all this is to enhance the confidence. And I always liked, I just saw something the other day that I thought was really well done. The, uh, is it the antonym? The opposite of risk is confidence. And that my confidence of returning my IT infrastructure is very high if I do exercises. And my confidence or my risk is very great or my confidence is very low if I don't do exercises and I don't find out all these little things that can hit me. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Uh, I always found, you know, if I had tests and we found major problems, whether they be, you know, whether they be major or, or small or either way, we found something. That's a success to me. You know, oh, yeah. If we, if I, we had an exercise or a test and didn't find anything, that scares me. <laughs> well, this is, this is why when I walk into a client and, you know, we have a, a major gap or a major fault and, you know, my, my client may be grim-faced, but I'll say, oh, this, I'm like you, this is good news. This is what my job's all about, to find these things. It's almost like God, you know, right? I haven't done my job if I haven't found them. If things work, great. But if things don't work, uh, not so great. And Alex, I'd like to just take a minute if I can. Sure. Um, I want to go back really quick to when I get a BIA, some of my pet peeves when I get them and warnings to people not to do uh, when they're doing a BIA. And let me talk about, sometimes I'll hear uh, my data loss. I can't have any data loss, an RPO of zero. And I'll go back to the client and say, well, how about we say, which is more accurate, to the last completed transaction. I can guarantee you, any of my clients, financial or otherwise, if I go in there with half a transaction, no one is going to be able to figure out how to complete that transaction, and they'll just say redo it. Yeah. But avoid the term RPO equals zero. Another thing I don't like to see in a BIA is ranges. If you tell me that the down, the I want to see this application back between zero and four hours, I, being the IT person, will say, thank you, I have four hours. I am not going to bring that back in zero, and, and simply because that buys me time. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's a very important point. And the last thing for the IT people is ensure that, remember, we're getting back to what's not critical, ensure to let your uh, executive, your clients, whoever know that what's not included in your DR or that you do not have DR for certain services. It's not your fault or your problem. This is a management decision. And, you know, management may say, you know, I'm willing to accept the risk of not having DR for this. That's totally a management decision. But it has to rest with management to make that decision. It's not your decision, but it must be communicated. That's a good point. We only have three minutes left. Um, I'd like to ask you uh, a question, if I may, about the uh, current uh, topic that uh, seems to uh, be floating around in quite a few circles, and that's to do with the adaptive BCP. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? I, I've seen it, and I'm going to, I think it needs time to see where its niche is in the marketplace. 
I certainly think, and I'm, I'm going to use my own personal experience of many clients I have aren't at the maturity level to use something like an adaptive BCP. Uh, many clients I have don't have any DR BCP, which is why I, I get paid the big bucks. But even those that do, I need to see how this is going to come out. I, my concerns here are I do need requirements, and I think adaptive BCP is trying to go towards an agile-type thinking in BCP, and I think the requirements are a very, very important part of what we do. It is mm-hmm. very important to identify how or can we meet those requirements, and if we can't, here are the potential solutions or here are the gaps we're going to have and the risk involved. So that's my thoughts on that one. I think it'll need a little bit of time to gel in the marketplace uh, before I, you know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you a more definitive statement on that one, Alex. <laughs> okay, we have uh, about a minute and a half left. Uh, do you have any last comment you know, for a minute about BIAs and what people really should know about them and do? I know you've covered quite a bit, but is there any last thought you have on well, BIAs? There are, there are a few little things. One is I'm going to talk about, for those organizations that haven't done a BIA, do one. Do whatever you can to do one. It is so critical. A lot of times what will happen is there'll be an IT failure and the client will want me to come up with DR plans and again, back to requirements, you haven't done them. What I'll do is I might reverse engineer this, go in and either talk to the business or the IT representatives in the business and use that to create my order of recovery, what I'm gonna bring up. But I will then always tell IT, it's important once we do this that you take this back to the business and tell them, You haven't given me requirements, so I'm giving you the solution. Do you agree with that solution? Uh, That's very important. As well, I can't stress enough the communication path, and we talked about culture, between the group that does the BIA and the IT department. It's not always easy, but I think it is important to meet, to discuss, and to know where the foibles are. And I think that's perfect. Time. That's a perfect spot to end because we've come to the end of our uh, time. Dennis, thank you very much. You've given us some great thoughts on BIAs. I hope our listeners out there took some notes because um, there's some good uh, things here to think about. And yep, thank you very much for joining us. A great topic. And uh, feel free if there's more you want to talk about DR or uh, BIAs, hey, let me know. We'll get you back to finish some of the other stuff maybe we didn't get a chance to uh, talk about. So in the meantime, oh, there, thanks everyone for much listening. In the field. <laughs> <laughs> thanks everyone for listening, and in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for preparing for the unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host Alex Bullock next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.